It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. What if you could become your own medical and emotional intuitive, release the fear and false beliefs that are holding you back, and become your most authentic self? Today's special guest, Katie Beecher, MSLPC, says you can. Katie is an internationally recognized medical intuitive. She is here to discuss her book, Heal From Within, where she teaches others to utilize their intuition and spiritual guidance as they move towards healing that encompasses body, mind, and soul. Katie Beecher, MSLPC, is a medical and emotional intuitive and licensed professional counselor featured by numerous media outlets, including, including Posh, Poosh, Miranda Cares, Cora Organics, and Goop, who call her eerily accurate. As part of her acclaimed readings, she created a detailed multi-page report and intuitive soul painting um, knowing only a person's name and age. She does that for each person. She has over 30 years of experience helping people all over the world transform their lives and their health. Good morning, Katie, and welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Good morning. Thank you, Randy. Good morning. You are very welcome. So, um, Katie, what is a medical intuitive? That's a good question. Um, A medical intuitive is someone who can look into someone's body and their energy. And we all look a little bit, we all work a little bit differently. We kind of have different abilities. But um, the way that I work is to tune in to someone's life, um, present and past, not past life actually, but early life, Um, sometimes past life. And check into what things are working in their lives and what are not. And that includes physical and emotional symptoms, um, trauma, relationship issues, career, um, if they're connecting to intuition and if they're being authentic. And then figure out, you know, the root causes for those issues um, and work on developing a plan for moving forward. Um, Sometimes that means including health professionals, since medical intuitives are not supposed to diagnose. We are not, you know, ethically or legally able to. Um, But, you know, I can point out symptoms and I can say, this sounds like this, so let me refer you to get to someone to um, be checked out. And then we basically look, you know, at the whole person and see where lives can be improved. And... You know, people who do healing work of all sorts generally come to it um, after having had their own issues. And I know that you did. You had Lyme disease and you had um, um, eating an eating disorder and um, maybe some other things. Yes. So did, did that, was that um, a catalyst for you to become a medical intuitive? It sure was. Um, yes, definitely without the healing that I've done, 
um, I wouldn't have been able to recognize um, my abilities and the intensity of them and how to work with them. And, you know, it started when I was really young. I could always pick up on people's energy and felt like I was communicating with people who had passed and then um, and grew up in a really dysfunctional family. But, you know, I didn't have anyone to talk to about these abilities or about what I was feeling. So um, that was really hard. And when I was 16, um, I sought help by myself for the eating disorder and depression. And through working with my Jungian therapist, um, she taught me how to connect to intuition and find self-love and work with my symptoms and my issues um, as friends instead of enemies and, you know, help me just be my more authentic self. And I realized that I was really, you know, supposed to use all of my experiences to go on and help other people. Yes, that's, that's great. Um, Usually, usually that's how it starts and it makes healers much better at what they do when they can experience what other people have, you know, are experiencing rather than just learning it from a book or in a clinical setting or something like that. You say that we cannot fully heal from emotional and physical issues unless we also address the spiritual root causes. What do you mean by spiritual root causes? That's again, another great question. (laughs) So a great example could be, I have a lot of people who come to me for physical issues um, and emotional issues, and they want to just figure out, you know, what can I take, what herb can I take, or how can I change my diet, or any other number of things, and, um, you know, even healing past trauma or whatever. And in the report that my guides create, um, I identify things like relationships that aren't working or careers that are not serving you or, you know, not setting boundaries. So it's, it often comes up that people are in really unhappy marriages or they're giving too much of themselves or they're not letting people know um, what they think and what they need. And so spiritually, they're kind of stuck in that situation. And a lot of people think, well, when I feel better, then I'll make changes. But the reality is you have to make the changes first or at the same time that you're working on those issues or the issues will never be resolved. I completely agree with you. There are so many factors. We are so um, not complicated, but um, just intricate beings. There's so much to us that, and everything affects everything. You work with your guides and um, how do you, what is the experience you have when working with them? So I, all I know when I start a reading is someone's name and age. I don't have a picture. um, I don't have any other information. You know, I don't speak with them. And so I've created a a template, um, a four page template that lists, chakras and their characteristics and then um, I have my guides fill in the blanks with you know it's all kinds of information for people so it's just kind of a download and there's around you know 75 ish or more facts about people on the reports 
And then um, I send them the report and the intuitive painting that I create, which is a symbolic um, painting. And then when we talk, I get a lot more information from my guides too. And it's basically just listening and then, you know, I either hear a voice in my head or I see a word or I will see some sort of scene or I'll see inside someone's body or just um, I, I will feel, you know, what they're feeling physically and emotionally. And so I'm able to get a lot of information in a lot of different ways. And then they, my guides usually will let me know, um, you know, where to go from there, or I can ask more questions or things like that. So when I do the sessions, that's how I work with them. And then um, in my own life, I have different techniques that I have used that have been successful um, for talking to my intuition and my guides as well. So tell us more about the paintings, because I think this is so fascinating. Um, and I, and you, sh- you show um, some paintings in your book, um, Heal From mm-hmm. Within, in the very, very, very beginning, actually in the inside cover. Um, and yeah. it explains what each thing means. So um, you, how did you get started doing these paintings? Did it just come to you naturally or, um, you know, yeah, how, this be- how did this begin? Yeah, so I've always been an artist. Um, I was a full-time artist there for a while and um, in, you know, some pretty big shows and museum shows and, and things like that, galleries. So creativity and art has always been a part of my life. And learning Jungian psychology also came into play because Jung talks a lot about symbolism and how different symbols um, are significant and mean things in people's lives. Um, you know, even symptoms themselves, illness um, is symbolic, and the symptoms are symbolic of other things that, that are going on in their lives. So, in other words, they give us messages about things that we need to know or things that we need to change. And I, when I started doing this, I just had, you know, the reports, and then I thought, I really need some kind of creative way to to show people what I'm getting um, that is not in the form of words. And the paintings enable me to get different information from the reports, but also to kind of enhance and verify um, the information in the reports as well. And... I always start, the first thing they show me is a color, um, and then they show me some kind of a shape. Um, my paintings are, they're different for everybody, but they could be figures or they're plants or animals or insects or something like that. So they have me start with a color and then kind of go down the page and keep adding, and every color is symbolic. Um, where the colors are placed in the body is symbolic. Um, things like the hands or arms are out, you know, versus across somebody's chest or versus up or the direction that the feet are pointing in or, you know, all that kind of thing makes a difference. And um, so one example is the fifth chakra, which is in your neck. That is about expression. 
And so um, I'm looking at this one painting I did for somebody today, and um, there is orange in their neck. And orange can symbolize being courageous and adventurous and independent. So that's a sign to them to that they have the courage to express themselves and to set boundaries and to tune into that courage to help them be able to do that. It's so fascinating. It really is. Um, and, I mean, for the most part, and I'm only seeing a few of the paintings that you've done, um, it looks like they're all the basically the colors of the chakras. Is that, is that a, a, done on purpose? Um, the, as far as, I mean, it's basically the basic colors. Like I, I use, so blue, orange, green, um, magenta, yellow, purple, red. Um, so it's, it wasn't done on purpose. Um, it does turn out that way. And the colors don't, are usually not in the same positions as the chakras. So, um, you know, the, the color for seventh chakra, for example, which is the crown, is a violet. And mm-hmm. on my paintings, it can be any color. So okay. the colors don't, you know, symbolize the same thing as the normal chakras. But, um, but yeah, I'm not sure. That's a really good question. Um, I didn't yeah. purposely set out to do it that way. But, yeah. yeah. Because um, in one picture, the heart chakra is green. And then in the next mm-hmm. picture, the heart chakra is blue. So I can see that. And the green green is um, the actual color of that chakra, right? True. True. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Um, so disruption in one chakra impacts all of the others. Tell us a little bit about chakras and how they function for us. Yeah. So chakras are energy centers in the body. There are seven main ones. And it's the kind of simple description is that our energy has to circulate around the body and it goes through, you know, all of the parts of our body, therefore all of our chakras. And you always, you know, even um, traditional Chinese medicine talks about chi where, you know, if there's energy blocks in the body, then things get thrown off and you have symptoms. And so it's kind of a symbolic way of, figuring out where the blocks are for you um, and how to address them. And I, I don't necessarily work at an energetic level in terms of just doing energy healing, like, you know, helping a chakra spin better or releasing a block in that chakra. Um, that is what ends up happening through my work, but it goes deeper than that. So, um, again, I'll just, okay, no, actually a good one is second chakra, which is around the hip area, reproductive area, and it also has to do with female and male power and energy and creativity and, um, and relationships and career. So um, most of us have some blocks in our first, second, and third chakras, and that's because a lot of trauma and issues happen when we're young. So, and then also a lot of trauma, um, let's say, you know, a sexual abuse or something like that, that impacts your second chakra. So I 
it is not uncommon for me to find spiritual and emotional issues in the second chakra um, in people who have had, let's say, um, you know, a hysterectomy or problems with menstrual cycles or sexual dysfunction um, or things like that. So by addressing everything emotionally, physically, and spiritually, you can help to um, allow all feelings and emotions and energy to come up through that chakra and pass through it rather than having like fear um, or shame or things like that block that. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, it totally makes sense. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I know that you you said, well, there's a couple of them. I I find that um, I do work, I'm a narcissistic abuse um, expert and coach. And so a lot of people that I work with have trauma, very deep trauma. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also when I ask them where they feel it, it's usually right around the heart chakra. So I know that's a common mm-hmm. thing for trauma. And the other thing is the sure. throat, which is something I've dealt with for many years, the throat chakra. So um, talk a little bit about those two chakras and, um, and what we hold in those places and the kind of symptoms we may have around that. Um, I'm having a tiny bit of trouble hearing you. Um, it's a little okay. bit soft, but did you say um, the heart okay. chakra and what was the second one? The throat. I'll talk louder. The throat chakra. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, yeah, it's still very soft, but um, okay. so the the heart chakra. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's super symbolic. Um, it's where you know you can literally die of a broken heart, um, and it's very fascinating because things like loss and grief and um, you know, having your feelings hurt and things like that, they they do impact, um, you know, heart rate and heartbeat and even things like cholesterol and um, hardening of arteries and, and you know, that sort of thing. So, um, and there's a lot of people who are empaths and sensitive, you know, meaning that they pick up on the energy of other people. And so any kind of of trauma or hurt or disappointment or grief um, would impact their heart chakra um, even more than people who are not. So, um, and then the the throat chakra. I mean, they're all and they're all connected, of course. Um, but the throat throat chakra is where there's a lot of blocks because if your throat has to do with your voice, so if your feelings are not coming up from your heart and you block them, um, then it's very hard to know what you want or need to say. And a lot of us have been taught to push down our feelings, you know, um, or feel like there's something wrong with us. So there's that shame. So the throat chakra, um, there's, there's a lot of ways to express yourself and it could be words but it also could be through creativity or through actions or, um, you know, maybe the written word as opposed to the spoken word and things like setting boundaries. So letting people know what you need, what's important to you, um, what you are not willing to do. Um, 
if we do that and we start setting boundaries and start, um, you know, taking care of ourselves, there are people in our lives who will not be happy with us because that means that they have to do things for themselves or, or maybe we're not enabling them anymore or maybe we're not, um, maybe we're making them feel their own pain, which is important, and that's forcing them to change, you know, instead of having us fix things all the time. So the, the heart chakra and the throat chakra are really, you know, tied together in that way. But the more we allow our feelings and open ourselves up to them, the easier it is to then express ourselves and realize that we have boundaries and to be authentic. That makes so much sense. And yeah, um, I don't know. I've suffered from the throat chakra. Can you hear me better now? I turned up the sound, but I don't know if you can hear me better. Can you? It's, it's still soft, but I can hear you. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I've suffered from throat chakra issues for a long, long time, and I've done a lot of work around it, a lot of energy work around it, letter writing, you know, trying to release stuff. And I do express myself quite often, but <clears throat> there's just some damage there that I'm having. You know, it's just taking a while to release it. Uh, so you, do you actually do Can the I healing? Suggestion? Yes. Okay, awesome. So... I think that words can trip us up. And what I mean by that is we can analyze words. Um, Words are very left-brained. When I do a reading for someone, I have to be careful not to try and interpret those words myself, you know, as a human, um, to just write what my guides tell me and put it down, and, and then we'll figure it out when we work together. But I have found that Working in symbolism, so doing things like, you know, creating your own intuitive painting, which I teach people to do in my work, Um, maybe using other forms of creativity, um, movement, for sure, Um, you know, just being in nature, grounding, um, there's a lot of ways that, that we can figure out what we're feeling and let it out that don't involve words and you sort of, of trick um, consciousness because if you allow that stuff to come up from your unconscious in less threatening ways and less obvious ways, it, it still gets out and often it's more powerful than trying to release it in words, which we have control over. Right. It's true. Um, and I've done some, I've done pretty much all that you, I'm a very creative person. I express myself awesome. all the time. As a matter of fact, I, I must do something creative every single day, whether it be writing or jewelry making or craft oh, or whatever, whatever it is. So I'm extremely expressive that way. I'm also, I also use my voice a lot um, to express and, right. um, and, you know, and there's, um, Yes, I've done a lot. I even do um, meditation around that area. And just, you know, it's it's a lot better than it was. It really is a lot better than it was. So it's a work in progress. Um, Always, right? (laughs) Always, right. It's just, and and like you, I mean, I know that you had childhood issues. I know that you had some, a lot of trauma around um, 
you know, your childhood. And I did too. Right. And so, sure. you know, th- there are some residual things that are constantly um, some areas I think that we have more sensitivity or vulnerability to that we have to always focus on, right? We have to really make sure we're okay in those areas. Um, so what are some obstacles in connecting to, um, if we're trying to connect to our intuition, what are some of the obstacles that we may find in trying to connect to it? So many. <laughs> we make it so hard. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm writing an article for a magazine and talking about you know evolution and how animals they just use their instincts as just automatic and and intuition is an instinct and you know with fear getting in the way and, and control we try to block it and um, we make it like it's some woo woo thing and it's not. Um, so one of the biggest obstacles to connecting to intuition is overthinking the process. And what I mean by that is um, doubting that we are intuitive, um, thinking that only people who make their living that way or something, you know, are intuitive, and that's absolutely not true. Um, Things like, you know, is this just a voice in my head or is it my intuition? Or is this just something I want to hear, you know, or, um, or if I let go and trust my intuition, does that mean that I'm letting go of control over my life? So there's a big trust factor. Um, often it's just like like fear of making a mistake. People are like, if I listen to it and I get it wrong, you know, is my life going to get screwed up? Or, you know, I, I haven't been able to trust it in the past. Usually people do receive signals and they ignore them. It's not that they can't trust it, but there's that, you know, that fear of that. Um, oftentimes I find we know what we need to do, or at least we're hearing something about it in our heads. You know, um, like perfect example is, you know, leaving a, a bad relationship or something. And there's often red flags um, early on. Then as it goes on, it's like you realize how unhappy you are and the person doesn't treat you well and you're not treating that person well. And it's just like, You know that you need to get out, but there's fear connected with that. So we think that if we listen to our intuition, we have to do it immediately. We have to respond immediately. And that isn't true. Like what I try to teach people is just to be open to what you receive. Um, Don't analyze it to death. Don't worry about where it's coming from. Just be open to it. And then if it's something that resonates but is really overwhelming or scary, then maybe ask, what is a first step? You know, how can I start this? Um, Maybe just saying, that is really scary to me, like I hear you, but that's really scary to me, and maybe I can check in with you tomorrow. Um, Or, you know, something like that, like realizing that we have choices we have the choice to respond to our intuition or we don't. Um, and a good example of on the same you know, relationship note is sometimes I'll say, well, you know you need to leave. You may not feel financially ready or you don't, you know, all kinds of mixed feelings. But why don't you start with 
consulting with a lawyer if it's a marriage situation and just seeing what your rights are. You know, just kind of getting somebody on your side and seeing what your rights are. You don't have to tell anybody. It's a first step. You can choose to go beyond that or not. But just kind of, you know, whether it's leaving a job or whatever, just like take a little baby step and see how it feels. Um, And then see that that did not kill you. You know, there's so many things I've been afraid to do, like listen to my intuition and and I'm afraid to do it, and I do it, and I realize, like, what in God's name was I afraid of? Because that, that was fine. It wasn't, you know, scary. Um, so a lot of it is just the things that I've talked about, you know, having that self-doubt or being afraid of change or, um, you know, being afraid that you don't have any control over your life anymore. And listening to our intuition actually gives us more control and more choices. You're right. <clears throat> Sorry, and you mentioned, there's my throat, and you mentioned the word, um, you, you talked about the timing, it may not be the right time or whatever, but, and I think sometimes that throws people because they may have an intuition that something needs to happen or that something is going to happen, and they expect that it's going to be an instantaneous thing instead right. of understanding that it's going to happen in, it, <clears throat> in its time. So, um I think timing is we have to really, you know, it's something that I believe we have to practice. And um, one thing about the clients that I have is that intuition is something they're taught to not listen to because Mm -hmm. then the person in their life loses control over them. So whenever Mm -hmm. they have an intuitive thought (laughs) and they bring it to that person's attention and that person basically says, you're crazy, you're making it up, Uh you're delusional. (laughs) Yes, you get it. It's happening. Exactly. And so you're taught that your intuition is incorrect. So, um, you know, I always try to bring people back to that because that is the truth teller in every situation. And we all have it and we all know it, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. If, you know, in my family, if I trusted my intuition or I told the truth or I stood up to somebody, there were so many consequences. And you just learn to push it down and that maybe there's something wrong with you and that, you know, you're the one who's wrong, but you know you're not. Exactly. Exactly. But you you get defeated. You know, you you try and you try. And then after a while, it's like, why am I bothering? This doesn't doesn't pan out. Right. Right. So you get defeated Absolutely. and you just give in after a while. Yeah. And then, then you lose that, that muscle becomes weaker. That intuition muscle yes. becomes weaker. Um, you talk in your book about um, dream interpretation, Jungian mm-hmm. style. And everything is, I, so you did mention that you had a Jungian um, therapist that was very inspirational to you or very helpful to you. Yes. Um, Let's talk about a little bit about what happens when we're sleeping and how our intuition works uh, in that way. I would love to. So it's, again, it's about symbolism. I mean, one thing that happens when you try to fall asleep is that you start to let go. And instead of having control over things, like if you're in control fear mode all the time, um, a lot of the reason why people have trouble sleeping and falling to, falling asleep is because they start to let go of that control and then feelings come into play. And so the feelings can be scary, as we've talked about, or memories. Memories come up that are scary, you know, especially with trauma and stuff. So 
dreams and you know sleeping and dreams are a way that our our body and psyche process our feelings and process those memories because feelings and experiences aren't just things that happen in our head they're not just about words they're about they they get stored in our body it's energy so it's energy that gets stored in our bodies and as a memory or a, any number of things. Um, and like I tell people about movement, if that energy gets stuck in there, it becomes, it can fester and it be, can become, you know, physical and emotional illness. So movement and dream work and things like that, um, creativity are important ways that we can release some of that stored trauma and energy. And I think dreams are incredibly fascinating. And when I do dream work with people, um, we look at what the messages are for them, the obvious messages. And then we also look at, you know, maybe the symbolism of some of the things that come up um, through mythology or religion or art or whatever. There's so many ways to look at symbolism, but, it's kind of a universal language. And so no matter what language you speak, um, no matter what religion you are, no matter when you were born, you know, centuries ago or now, um, symbolism is a universal way of getting messages across. And I think that's why they can be so um, healing and effective um, you know, I tell people too, the most important dreams are the ones that scare the crap out of you. <laughs> and, and those are the ones that most need to get your attention. And so instead of avoiding them or being afraid of them, you know, let's take a look at what those mean and what they're trying to tell you so that if you can then understand it and use that, that information to make changes – they won't need to scare you anymore. That makes sense. Uh, you know, um, does everybody remember their dreams or some people don't? I think a lot of people don't. Um, I only remember some of mine and I tend to remember them more like if I wake up and then go back to sleep or something because they're, you know, closer to when I wake up. Um, a lot of people don't. And I think if you can make a conscious effort to when you wake up in the morning, whatever you remember, start writing that down. And as you write, you will remember more details. Um, to maybe ask yourself before you go to bed, you know, I'd like to have some dreams that I remember. Um, you know, please allow this time to give me some messages about my life, things like that. Like I think it is, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but, um, you know, a lot of people have said that the more they work on trying to remember them, the more they remember. And um, there's also different types of dreaming too. Like I happen to be a lucid dreamer, which means that I can be present in my dream and know that I'm dreaming and make changes while I'm in the dream, um, which is cool and weird at the same time. 
Um, <laughs> right. I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, no, I'm, that, I'm really, so. I'm very familiar with lucid dreaming. I, I wish I could, but I haven't been able to do that. But okay, keep going. <laughs> keep telling us about this. This is so cool. This is so cool. Yeah. No, I just, it's, um, it's a really powerful tool for getting at the things that are not in our consciousness and things such as the childhood trauma or the generational trauma, um, you know, that we may not know how to process in our daily life and may not necessarily need to. Like, I don't think you have to rehash every single traumatic thing that has happened to you in order to process it. So, Sometimes dreams can do that. Um, you know, movement can do that. Creativity can do that. And we find ourselves maybe ruminating less about bad experiences we've had or um, healing or doing other kinds of things without necessarily consciously pursuing that if we're doing other things. Right, right. A lot of people get very frustrated at themselves when they can't move a trauma or they know something is bothering them. And so um, what a lot of my clients do, probably most of them, is that they start attacking themselves. Why can't yep. I do this, right? Yep. Why can't I do this? Yep. <clears throat> For sure. I'm smart, I'm intuitive, I'm, you know, I'm successful. Why can't I do this? And you know, I think that it's important for people to understand that these things can get stuck in a way that our conscious mind cannot get to, um, and that, that we need alternative ways to get to it, and that by beating ourselves up and becoming frustrated at ourselves, <laughs> right. we create more of the problem, right? Oh, my God, yes. Yes. Totally agree with that. Um, yeah, because, I mean self-loathing and, and self-hate don't get anywhere. It's the, you know, self-love and being compassionate with ourselves and understanding that we're human and that um, there's real reasons, you know, remembering painful things or, um, or letting them go um, is also scary. So um, I find a lot of people highly identify with an illness or with a trauma or something like, you know, some like negative, I'll say negative, but that's a judgment word and I really don't mean it that way, but, you know, some kind of thing in their life that's scary or uncomfortable. And that becomes hugely distracting. Um, it's happened to me, you know, it's happened to everybody. And it can be weirdly easier to focus on what is painful or or what is difficult or scary than to risk moving forward in your life and making changes and risk making mistakes. So I find when people try to be more present, um, find things that they like to do, um, you know, realize that they are not their illness. Um, you know, with Lyme, I was like, I'm not Lyme disease. I'm not a patient. This is not, you know, this is not who I am. I have other things going on. I'm not going to focus on it. And, and even with the eating disorder and the Lyme, like 
I teach people to approach them as their friends and to communicate with them as friends rather than enemies and rather than things they have to get rid of. So to be like, you know, why are you in my life? What would you like me to know? Um, How can I grow by, you know, experiencing you? Um, How can I help you heal? How can I be more authentic? And examining their life as if that issue was gone and then letting those fears come up, you know, um, I think negativity and fear and things like that can be really addictive. And it's, um, it's because we don't have faith in ourselves and we're afraid of making mistakes moving forward. And also a lot of times it's, if it's been with us for so long, it becomes our identity. And then we fear who will be when it's gone. We don't know who will be if we let it go, right? That is exactly what I was trying to say, but you did it better. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so true, you know, or if I, there's a lot, you know, people I work with who are like, I, now that I'm sick or something, I can say no. I can set boundaries. I don't have to go to that family gathering because I don't feel good. And I'm like, well, hang on, you know, you had that power before you got sick. Um, <laughs> you. You don't need to be sick to say no or to be yourself or to set boundaries or to take care of yourself. Like if you do, maybe people are going to be pissed off at you or deal with you differently, but do you really want those people in your life, you know, anyway? I mean, so yeah, a lot of it is, it's just easier to um, To blame it on something, to blame it on something else, to find a crush. Yeah. Just be like, no, I don't want to. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I know. I, yeah, I, I have, um, I have run across this, you know, with my clients where they're looking for some outside influence to Mm -hmm. be the catalyst to make them move um, when they really, you know, because they're afraid that they can't do it on their own. Um, Yeah. A lot of, yeah, a lot of people, um, I have a lot of people who are empathic. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people with childhood trauma, and I believe that has a direct, it's a direct correlation mm-hmm. to becoming an adult empath. So um, what are some ways that we can protect our energy and, um, you know, we can cleanse emotion, negative emotions from us? So one thing is to identify the emotions that you're having. Um, not push them down, be like, okay, this is what I am feeling right now. This is what I'm thinking. And that is a first step. And the next thing is to think about, okay, so I feel anxious right now. Um, Do I have a reason to feel anxious? You know, maybe I have a damn good reason. Maybe this anxiety is bringing my attention to something that I need to address that I'm not, like I'm procrastinating. Or maybe it's warning me about a situation that I don't like, like I feel anxious before I go to my parents' house or something. Like, okay, then you need to think about that. Like, why do you feel anxious? Maybe you need to not go there. Maybe, you know, there's a reason for it. And so look at all of that stuff in your life and be like, it's not coming from nowhere, you know. Um, So that helps you to begin addressing it and feel empowered that you can do something about it. Um, Now, I also encourage people, if you cannot consciously find a link between your emotions and things going on in your life right now, 
ask yourself if you are picking that up from other people around you or from the rest of the world or something like that. And if that's the case, um, number one, understand that you and you alone are in control of your energy. Um, No one can penetrate you. No one can get to you. You know, you have that control. And maybe you don't feel like it, but you actually do. And if you're picking up things from other people and you don't want to, one technique I have is to create an invisible box and put the feeling in the box and tie it up and send it out into the universe. Be like, I, I have enough of my own stuff. You know, here you go. This, I'm giving this back to you. Um, another technique that I like, which is super simple, is to sit or stand with your feet on the ground and imagine the power and love of the Mother Earth, of Mother Earth, coming up through your feet and throughout your whole body as you take a breath in. And then when you breathe out, just say, I release all energy and feelings and thoughts that don't belong to me and no longer serve me. Um, you can do that in your head. You know, you can go into the bathroom at work. I have, I worked with um, a doctor the other day and I'm like, just take literally one minute in between each patient and, you know, do that at your desk or, or, you know, do it in your head or whatever. But um, that's a really good technique too. And um, definitely, you know, being out in nature, um, notice if, you know, you're being around too much, too many people and it's like, you know, zapping your energy and, and take time for yourself and do the self-care stuff. And, um, you know, one of my favorites is certainly movement to, to release all that. But there's so many things that we can do, and a lot of it's a mindset. Yes. Um, thank you for all those suggestions. You have so many of them here in your book, um, Heal From Within. Um, the one thing that you talk about, and um, I like to tread a bit lightly on this because I don't want to um, – to come across um, judgy or anything like that. But sure. you, say, you say, do not buy into a holier-than-thou or superior attitude. Some of the worst offenders I've known are people who hide behind so-called Christian values. Christ taught love and acceptance, not judgment or superiority. Um, there are a lot of people that do this. And they... <laughs> yes. And um, it, to me, it's... Um, I don't want people to not have faith, but I also don't want them to have blind, blind faith and um, just sort of put everything in the hands of, of something else or someone else when really we're here to work through these things. This is what yeah. our, our God or whatever we believe in wants us to do. Um, right. <clears throat> So, yeah, I mean, values, hiding behind values and things like that. We need to really let that kind of go. Um, What do you have to say about that? Well, the first thing I want to say is I think that we can all be guilty of that, myself included, of getting like, you know, I don't understand how someone could believe that or, you know, can't they see that that's not right? Or, you know, I mean, I've been guilty of of it myself and I – come from a very judgmental family full of people who have enough of their own issues to deal with. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, and I always say that when I am perfect, I can judge 
someone else. Now, I'm human. I, yeah, what happens? Um, but I think that coming, being around people um, and trying to have under, as much understanding as you possibly can sometimes of why people feel the way they do and maybe where it came from, um, such as if you have really racist beliefs, and I think we can all agree racism is not cool. Um, if you have really racist beliefs or homophobic, homophobic beliefs and or you meet someone like that and it's like that comes from somewhere. So I try, I try to not necessarily be judgy of that person, but maybe there are things that you can say that can influence their thought for five seconds, or you can model um, behavior that is not, that is more loving and more accepting um, in general. Um, you know, I try to, even when you're engaging in conversations with people, like it just gets really dicey and there's stuff I won't even talk about because it's, you know, politics is a great subject. Um, so I think the more that we can understand each other, have compassion, um, try to understand other people's cultures or religious beliefs or things like that, like I think there'd be a lot fewer wars and less violence and and I like to encourage people to be more loving and open and more real about their own crap um, so that if you know if you own your own stuff I think it's a lot easier to to change and to be loving towards others but yeah right right it's really really icky yeah 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 it's a it's a tender topic and um you know, and I do believe that religion for some people is, is so valuable. It gives them that source Absolutely. of support and comfort, yes. Um, but we just, we have to, uh, we can't throw everything under that umbrella. And, um, right. yeah. Right. And if you're, like, I think, I think the basis for religion um, ideally should be love and acceptance and caring about other people. And it's really sad when it becomes judgmental and my way or the highway, you know, or I think that's more about fear um, and not wanting to redress your own stuff. And it becomes less about love and caring about others. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, So Katie, um, this is, this is a really wonderful book. There's so much in here that I couldn't possibly Thank you so much. Get, get to all of it. I mean, I, there's nothing that you know, acid reflux and back pain and um, um, <laughs> so chronic much. fatigue and diet and exercise. And so, much, so much hemorrhoids, <laughs> hormone imbalances, <laughs> um, inflammation, skin problems. Yeah, all these things, they're all in there. So um, your purpose for writing the book is, is what? One was my guides told me when I was 16 and recovering from the eating disorder that I would share my experiences and help others see that, that they can heal 
and find their true selves and listen to their intuition. So that's where it emanated from. But I really wanted to show people that they could be intuitive. They could be their own medical intuitive. Um, They can tune into their body and their lives and heal and that through authenticity, um, you know, so many powerful things can happen. And we're doing this for over 30 years. I've developed and learned, not on me, um, developed and learned so many great techniques and things that have worked for me and thousands of other people. So, um, you know, and not everybody can afford a reading. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not the cheapest things. I give them a lot with it, but I understand that everybody can afford that. So I wanted to make what I do um, available to as many people as possible. Mm, okay. That's great. And you do. Um, your book has, you know, it's so, um, you cover so many things and you give a lot of great advice for absolutely everything. So um, I highly recommend this book, um, Heal From Within. And uh, this is a guidebook to intuitive wellness. Katie, how do we get your book? So it is available literally everywhere. Um, <laughs> Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And, you know, you can order it from your local bookstore. Um, it's literally everywhere. It's in hardcover and Kindle and audio and paperback um, all over the world. And there's a link. If you go to my website, which is katiebeecher.com, um, there's information about how to get readings and more about me and all that stuff. And then um, right on the front page, there's a link to order the book also. Okay. And Beecher, just for everyone's reference, it's K-A-T-I-E-B-E-E-C-H-E-R, not like the beach that you go to, yes. but <laughs> yes, B-E-E-C-H-E-R, right. Okay. So um, is there a message or some inspiration that you'd like to leave us with or something maybe I didn't bring up? Yeah, no, I mean, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate it, and you've been fantastic. Um, I think to let people know that they've they've been told they can't heal. Lyme disease is a great example. Um, Even if they've been told they can't heal, um, to trust yourself to never give up. If you know there's something wrong and you're not getting the answers you need, keep at it. You know, keep working with people, um, keep trusting your intuition. And we are here, ultimately, I believe, to be our true selves. And that will lead us to our path and to love and to getting all the things that we need. Um, So if there are people around you who are not accepting, who don't want you to be your true self, really examine those relationships and it's better to to risk um, making mistakes than it is to continue to be miserable for the rest of your life. You're right. There's, you know, we were ta- you were talking earlier about um, people who are in, you know, bad relationships or just aggressive right. relationships, and um, and are afraid to leave. And they say, sometimes people will say to me, well, the devil I know is better than the devil I don't. <laughs> and I say, well, that's not, absolutely not true because you don't realize the level of the stress that you're under with this, you know, in this situation because you've adapted uh, to it. 
And so yep. you are experiencing low-level stress at all times, and yep. that has to go somewhere. So you are going exactly. to get sick. And autoimmune disorders are like one of the uh, first things that I notice that happens with people yep. that stay in these relationships. So, um, and then after that, you know, it just opens you up for so many more things. So, um, you know, it, it really is important to recognize what's um, not working in your life and to change yeah. those things. There's no other way to do this. We cannot escape these things, right? There's, there's not, and if you think about spiritually what autoimmune means, it means attack of the self. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Attack if of you self. start loving yourself instead of attacking yourself, you don't need to have the autoimmune illness anymore. Yes. Incredible. Incredible. Well, thank you so much. It's been so good to talk to you, and I've really enjoyed reading your book, Heal From Within. Um, and thank you for telling us how we can get in touch with you. So if anyone wants to work with you, they know how to go about doing that so they can contact you right from the website. Yes, yes. And okay. I'm on Instagram and all those good places too, KDB True Medical Intuitive and all that kind of good stuff. So. Okay, okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it has you been being my pleasure. <laughs> we oh, have no, a great my pleasure. I really appreciate you inviting me, and um, your podcast is great, and your books, and um, it was a pleasure meeting with you. Thank you. Well, have a wonderful day, Katie. Take care. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy. And serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.